You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode 233. I have a super fun guest today, and I can't wait to learn more. His name is Michael Ashford, and he's the director of marketing at The Receptionist, and he has transformed their business beyond 2020 expectations, occurring $6.1 million in revenue. Michael faced The Receptionist away from commercial spaces, and toward logistics and supply chain. He believes good marketing is good storytelling. And I love telling a good story and hearing a great story, I must say, uh, personally. So welcome, Michael. Kirsten, thank you so much for having me. And here's to good stories over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Yeah, that'll be great. And Man, I just, um, and I'm sure you do this, but it's so fun to, um, I think life stories are so illustrative. Like it helps people really, uh, capture it and gain the vision for themselves on whether you're teaching or marketing. Well, it's, it's how humans have related to each other for all time. Right. I mean, we, we get so caught up, especially in marketing and sales in, uh, the jargon and trying to what word best describes this amazing thing that our product does. And this is going to be the thing that gets people to buy. And it's like, no, it's actually, I want to be able as a buyer or, or even me saying as a buyer, as a, as somebody who's looking to purchase a product, I want to be able to place myself inside of a story that makes me look good. That makes me look like the hero for whatever decision I'm about to make. <laughs> oh, I love that. And, um, you know, it's because I am not a marketer or sales, of course, but I'm a business owner. So I need to engage in these activities. And I, like I said, I do love telling stories when I'm teaching. They're so illustrative. And even though I'm often teaching on leadership concepts, I use a lot of like parenting stories, <laughs> real life, because it's relatable in that way. But uh, wow, I love alliteration and I really do have a problem when when I'm marketing or coming up with quick phrases. I love when it rolls off the tongue and I know that's not the right answer. You know, we were taught alliteration in elementary school. For some reason, for all of us, that stuck. It really did. I use alliteration and I use the the rule of threes all the time. I give three examples all the time. It's like, that's probably not necessary, Michael, but I fall into those traps too. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad to hear that you have that alliteration problem too. Yeah, if I can make it sound fun, I'm like, ooh, I'm going with that. And I'm like, that is not how my client would say that. But um, so listen, I could just go on and on about stories and words. But um, tell me more about your work and what impact you're working to make in the world. Well, yeah, like you said, I'm the director of marketing at The Receptionist and, and my job is to market The Receptionist, right? But at a deeper level, Kirsten, I, I have this desire or this this vision of a world where we are more reachable as leaders. Um, I, I love that word reachable because we are as reachable as ever as human beings. I mean, if somebody walks up to you, Kirsten, and says, 
hey, did you get my message? You got to cycle through all the different places you could possibly have gotten a message like Slack and email and Twitter or Twitter DM and you know just WhatsApp, just the list goes on and on. We are so incredibly reachable, but as leaders, we often find ourselves closed off. Like the decision has to be, and it, it sits with us and only us. And so we, we close ourselves off to the world and the potential that we have to co-create as leaders, rather than having to feel like the answer has to live within us. It has to come out of us. It has to uh, spawn out of us. <laughs> and it, it creates this really lonely, um, perhaps ego-driven style of leadership that I just think, man, it, 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 everyone suffers under a leader who leads that way, right? We, and we've all been there. We all can point to examples of leaders who thought everything has to be my way or the highway to use that cliche. And it just is draining for everyone, the leader and the people in their charge. And so I want to be in selfless service to those people who have entrusted me with their careers and their jobs so that they can grow, they can reach their goals, they can reach their potential, they can help me make decisions and feel like a part of the solution rather than being dictated to. If 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 we're talking about impact, <laughs> yes. that, that's it, Kirsten, is help people grow in whatever that looks like for them and have fun doing it and and be more reachable as as humans, as not just leaders and, and what we do for a job title. And I know you probably asked me <laughs> this question to find out what I do for a job, but uh, this is so important to me, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and boy, you, I agree with so much that you were saying there. It's funny. I, I just posted something on Twitter about, uh, and I won't, you know, we're certainly not going to get political today, but Oh, as someone who's watching communication and um, the lack of creative problem solving and the standing and, you know, blaming and pointing fingers and all of that is just like bring a collective to the table, make sure everyone has a voice, use great creative problem solving because nothing is simple. <laughs> There's too much intertwining and then focus on, you know, creating the best decisions, not ego and the win. So <laughs> Just made me think of that as you were talking about the ego of leaders at times. And so, uh, but yeah, actually great leadership comes uh, from a place of humility for sure. Um, so what, and you're, I, you're doing this great storytelling thing. So what is the receptionist? Well, if you've ever walked into a building and walked up to a little kiosk that maybe had an iPad on it and checked in and there was a friendly smiling face at the reception desk saying, hey, how are you? Let me know if you have any questions. But that system that you're checking in on, which then would go and notify the person that you're there to see, perhaps that person is in a meeting and can't immediately get to you, or perhaps that they are across the street having, you know, grabbing some coffee. Our system alerts them that you're there. And so you're not waiting, wondering if the person that you're there to see actually knows that you're there. And they also are aware of your presence. And, you know, perhaps our system takes a photo of your face so that they can see you if there's a lot of people in the lobby. Although these days, a lot of people in the lobby is not happening as much, right? Right. <laughs> um, but that's what our system does. It, it 
it creates um, the connections when people walk into a building that can be automated. And that was really an important piece of what I was describing there is we don't aim to take away the job of the receptionist or the front desk person. There are things that technology, at least to this point, cannot do and doesn't do well. Like I, as a new interview or a new hire interviewee, you know, I may be really nervous and need to go use the restroom. Well, that piece of technology that's checking you in probably isn't going to give you the directions to the restroom and let you know that you have salad in your teeth from lunch, <laughs> you know, <make laughs> get that out. Um, that's one of the things that we actually constantly fight against. And I don't want to say fight. We often run up against that challenge to the work that we do is, well, you're just taking jobs, your technology taking jobs. And that's not our intention whatsoever. Automate what can be automated and let humans do what humans do best, which is relate to people, guide them, uh, greet them in a, in a more convenient and, and interactive way. That's awesome. So tell me, uh, yeah, and we're not sitting around in waiting rooms so much lately, but uh, which is kind of (laughs) nice. That part's (laughs) nice. But uh, what experiences for you motivate you uh, to help this business make this impact? Well, we've all we've all been there, right? I mean, I, I just described the situation of a new hire walking into a building. And if there's no one at the front desk, perhaps the front desk receptionist just stepped away. Um, if they are on a phone call, perhaps, and can't immediately get to you like that is a, that's a really nerve wracking, intense situation for someone, especially these days as the topic of jobs and, and people leaving their careers (laughs) to find something that better suits their goals, their desires, their financial needs, walking into an interview and thinking to yourself, I really need this. I really need to nail this. And then having that uncertainty of does this per- does the person I'm interviewing with know that I'm here? I want to make sure that I'm on time. Like I got here five minutes early. Do they know that I'm here? We can all relate to those situations. And if we can better connect those two human beings so that we can foster better, for instance, outcomes in the in the uh, in the job hiring process, fantastic. Or or let's put it in the context of what we're all going through right now, which is a global pandemic, something that rarely, uh, very few of us alive have ever experienced this. You've got to be over a hundred years old to have experienced a global pandemic twice in your life. So we're all figuring this out as we go along. And just the knowledge of, of being safe and who's in the building and when did they get there? Who were they there to see? So that if anything should happen, if we should need to alert people that you were exposed or that there was a case in your area, we've got to do a better job of that. And if technology can help foster that and make people safer, I, I can't find an argument against that. I don't know if you can, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, safer is good, definitely. And, uh, you know, I'm also thinking, you know, if that leader is on a phone call or in a meeting, uh, they can now give their full focus to what they're doing instead of kind of half listening or feeling like, oh, let me just hop out and, uh, you know, hope no one notices and stick my head out the door and see if someone has arrived. Let me check in. So it's probably nice, you know, for them as well to make sure that uh, 
they can be aware and they don't need to, they don't need to kind of have half an ear anywhere else. They can be fully present. You nailed it. We hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. You nailed that situation perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) So can you think, um, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell great story here, but I love thinking, you know, I love passion. And I think that's the fuel that we need that gives us tenacity and anyone looking to make an impact in the world is going to hit hiccups. And so I think that passion is what, you know, keeps us push hitting the gas so we can keep going. So I love the inspiration of um, having people share their stories about a time that their impact really made a difference for someone. So can you think back to a client uh, you know, kind of the before and after scenario, uh, what, what benefit did they reap and how amazing was it that they were using your service? Um, a, a client of the receptionist you're asking? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, great question. So one of the things that we, we pre pandemic and now it's picking back up again, but one of the areas that we really saw a huge, um, uptick in people coming to our, our service and using our software was in the behavioral health and mental health space. And that's a huge conversation right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we have had several uh, customers in that space running mental health and behavioral health and therapy clinics say to us kind of exactly what you just were touching on there, Kirsten, is we are so, it, it is such an important part of our job that we are fully focused on the person who is sitting across from us and their issues and and what they have. And a lot of behavioral health clinics are one, maybe two person shops, right? And so they're often scheduled back to back to back to back. And you never want that person who's coming in, uh, who's who's coming in for their next appointment to feel like nobody knows that they're there because often these one and two person shops don't have somebody at the front desks. They simply can't afford it. So you've got a therapist sitting in a, uh, a session with a client and their next appointment shows up 10 minutes early, perhaps. And what do they do? They sit in their, they sit in their lobby for 10 minutes, wondering if anyone knows that they're there in an already, they're probably already in an anxious or heightened state of emotion. Uh, and, and so what our system has helped to do, I can think of several therapists right off the bat. Uh, Sarah Suzuki at Chicago Compass Counseling up in Chicago is one example of she no longer has to do that situation that you just described. I'm with a client. Oh my gosh, I just heard the door open and I need to pop my head out. I need to stop what you're saying, client number one. (laughs) Yeah. Walk out of the room, go let that person know that I know that they're there and come back and in the last 10 minutes try and refocus, get my thoughts back. It just is so disruptive to that process when that happens. And if you think in that space of a, of a behavioral health or a therapist office where, again, we're talking about trauma, we're talking about heightened emotions, we're talking about really raw, intense spaces to disrupt that because somebody walks in the front door is really damaging to that therapist-patient relationship on both sides. And that is one example of how our system, we have heard countless stories over and over again of how our system can help help the human side of what goes on at these businesses. I no longer, I can, I can give you my full attention as your therapist and your counselor for the full amount of our session and know that my next appointment is taken care of. They're checked in. They're good to go. Does that answer your question? 
That is a great illustration. Absolutely. Uh, that would be very valuable. So uh, this question is a little bit more personal and, you know, and, and maybe it's not even in this position in general, but for you as a professional in your, in your area of expertise, what has been the biggest internal or external challenge that you've personally had to overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh boy. <laughs> Early on in my career as as a marketer, I I didn't I didn't come from a marketing background, um, and I actually was a journalist out of college, and then left the newspaper world for the project management world, and eventually worked my way up to where I eventually became the director of marketing at this technology company that I worked at, and because I didn't have the marketing background, uh, I, I was very unsure of myself. Now we can call it imposter syndrome or whatever other cliche you want to use, but I was very unsure of my ability to lead a team of marketers. What I and the advice that I got from my vice president of sales and marketing at the time was, Michael, they don't they don't need somebody who's great and excellent at marketer. They need a leader. And it took me a long time to realize what he meant by that. But in the meantime, as I figured it out, I tried to make myself seem smarter than I was. I let my ego really ramp up because I had to look good, right? I had to look good in the job and I had to look like I knew what I was doing and I had to look like I had it all figured out. And that manifested itself as you know, I got I got feedback in 360 reviews and we can go into how much I hate 360 reviews, but I <laughs> <laughs> I I got feedback in reviews from my peers that um I would railroad meetings. Um, when I decided what I wanted to do, it was my way and nobody was going to convince me any differently. Uh, I came to my decisions without consulting others uh, at times, without asking the question of how will this affect other people? And, and that, <laughs> that gets you into some really tough uncomfortable places. And, and to be very raw and honest, Kirsten, that gets you fired, right? Mm -hmm. That gets you fired. Sometimes, not always. <laughs> yeah. Well, and well, it did me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah, yeah. I had a feeling that that was, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm so, see, too bad you didn't know me then. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and we can go into the leadership that could have been in place to help me correct that? Like what, what kind of leadership did I need to make that not be the case? We can get into that. And I have some thoughts on that too, but uh, that struggle to overcome those feelings of insecurity and vulnerability, uh, to not ask for help, to feel like I had to have all the answers now that I was suddenly placed in this position of leadership was a years long process. Mistakes made, uh, just like I said, fired, <laughs> um, constant headbutting with my leaders and, and the people who, you know, were in charge of, of me and my performance and probably without a doubt, actually not probably putting the people who were on my teams, those people who were in my charge in really uncomfortable and vulnerable positions themselves. It wasn't just, this didn't just affect me. And so that years long process of understanding what real leadership looks like, what delegation looks like, what building others up in their role looks like, what consensus or, or collaboration looks like. That's, that's a tough place to be in. 
that's a tough place to be in when your livelihood is on the line. And uh, if there has been any area of growth that I have poured so much effort into, it is exactly that, that I don't have all the answers and I do rely on other people and I do need collaboration. And I I have other uh, responsibilities than just my career. It's an important thing for leaders to understand and get. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just the, you know, again, everyone has those different perspectives and uh, we need to, as I was just saying, we need to hear all of them, make sure everyone has a voice. But yeah, the what you are describing is such a beautiful cautionary tale for others. So thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. I'm sure it's not the most comfortable thing, but I will tell you, um, you know, because I've been working with leaders for over 20 years, well, over 30, if we go all the way back um, before I started my business, but uh, it happens so often with new leaders. And in particular, I find, cause I work a lot with family businesses when they're bringing that next generation in. Mm. And, um, a lot of what drives everything I teach, uh, or coach around leadership is three key principles of, um, human innate desires. And one of those is that we want to feel like we're doing a good job and we, yeah, absent confidence, which again, if you're a new leader, um, that feels like I need to be the hero. I have to, you know, answer all the questions. If I start asking for other people's advice, they're going to think I don't know. And so I can't do that. And so, uh, sometimes what we just kind of innately do is not at all what we need to do. And so, uh, thank you so much. And that is the kind of thing that can happen. And, And the other thing is then the team's not feeling like they're doing a good job either. And one of the other innate desires is that they want to feel known, acknowledged, and appreciated. And if a leader is being the hero and not engaging others in conversation and you're sitting on the outside now watching, you know, something head down a path that you know is not a good one, but you don't have a voice to be able to, you know, to shout out caution. Uh, it's really, yeah, it's frustrating for the team as well. And that's when so, good employees leave. That's yes, good exactly. Employees. And I'm so sorry that they didn't um, give you some coaching because that would have, you know, I'm sure because the thing is almost all employees, uh, you know, there are very few outliers who are like, I'm going to use all my creative energy to uh, try to, you know, get away with as much as I can. Uh, right. You know, that's a very small outlier, but I mean, well over 90, 95% of employees, I really do believe want to do a good job. And so the intent are there, but sometimes the, the aptitude is not there. So sometimes people need a little attitude tweak too, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Agreed. But often, often it's, it's rooted and based in fear, right? Oh, absolutely. For so many different reasons, but you're right. Uh, the vast majority of people, if you can get to that underlying fear or driver of what's causing that behavior, it can be, it, it can be corrected. I'll use corrected. And I don't even know if that's the right word, but it can be rerouted, let's say mm-hmm. into more productive, uh, productive means and methods. And it's funny that you brought up the meeting, um, example of like in the meetings of, you know, having all the answers and kind of dictating what was going to happen instead of listening to others. Because again, that specific, um, instance is exactly what I've coached on so many times. And here's, you know, I don't know if this will be good, good news to you or bad news to you, but literally, you know, if I'm meeting with someone on a weekly basis and we coach through here's, here's, here's what you need to do at the next meeting, you know, let the, let the journey happen. 
you know, you've gone from point A to point Z, they might end up right at Z. They might take a little meandering. Uh, it might be a little tweak off of Z, what you were thinking might happen, but yeah. let it play out. Let others catch up to you. If they just don't see the same end result that you think is correct or, you know, or allow it to tweak from where you assume it'll go. And in every instance I've heard, oh my gosh, it actually ended up way better than I thought. <laughs> You know, that, that decisions that the whole group made, uh, you know, so they go in so scared and then, oh my gosh, wow, <laughs> there's all these great ideas and minds uh, on the team. So gosh, and that could have been tweaked for you so easily. <laughs> yeah. This, the stories that we make up in our heads don't often match reality, right? <laughs> yes. Rarely, but I'm, which is a good thing, really, I know it. <laughs> because I know we, it. we get really creative. Um, so, uh, one more little word of inspiration for others. So when you're moving through tough times, how do you stay motivated and moving? What's the story you tell yourself? What are the words you use? The tactics that my job is not who I am. It is a, it's a role that I play and it, it serves a purpose in my life or, or it serves a, uh, it's a means to an end in a lot of ways, but it is not the definition of my character, uh, the definition of my makeup as a person. I, I prioritize my life in, in a hierarchy of at the very top, purpose? Do you have a purpose that you strive for that may or may not be attainable um, in this lifetime? But do you have something that is a wild vision of what you want life and relationships and and your, yeah, the, the makeup of who you are? Do you have a vision of what that is? That's your purpose. Then it's people. Who are the people around you that you care about and love the most? And are you pouring into those relationships in, in the way that they deserve. Below that, number three, you've got your passions. What gives you life? What builds your character? What, what helps you grow? What things do you pour your efforts into simply because you love to do them and not because they make you another buck? And then it's your profession. Your profession, at least for me, is fourth on the hierarchy. It's at the bottom. And not to say that it's, it's unimportant, it is just not a definition of the person that I am, what my job title is, does not reveal my character. And when times get tough and they always do, that's what I go back to. I go back to, am I pouring into my purpose and living that out? Am I, are my relationships with the people that I care about strong? Am I, am I giving them the full attention? Am I pouring into my passions and the things that grow my character? If those things are in alignment, we're good. If they're out of alignment, when we when we lift our profession above our passions, or in some cases above the people in our lives, as is often the case, we see it all the time. When we lift, when those things in that hierarchy get out of order, we feel unbalanced, right? We feel out of whack. We feel not quite right, is what you often hear people say. We feel unmotivated because we're pouring our efforts into things that we don't feel like are the quote unquote right things for us. That's what I default back to every single time I feel that way is hold on. Let me take a, let me take a, a self-check assessment here. Are my priorities in order? If they're not, what do I got to do to get them back? Then that's where I go. I love your list of priorities. I will add 
if Go your ahead. profession aligns with the rest of those, woohoo! <laughs> that's that's even right? better, which that's I get, ideal. which is me and I love it. <laughs> exactly. And right. many others too, but yes, but you are so right. Being so intentional with our time. I mean, our time can get sucked away, zapped away, uh, in a million different directions. We, you know, we could have a whole nother conversation about boundaries, I'm sure, but saying yes oh, and no yeah. appropriately. <laughs> Uh, you know, you got to have that, the vision of what you're working towards so that you know how to say yes and no appropriately. And then you got to have the muscle to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and you're so right. Like when, when that profession aligns up the chain with the other three priorities in your life, man, you have hit gold. You have struck gold. Stay in that vein. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, you've shared so many uh, tips and, uh, you know, just little nuggets of um, fire for people. So I really appreciate it. And if you would like to get in touch with Michael or learn more about The Receptionist, you can find the website at The Receptionist. Dot com. Uh, the link will also be on today's show notes. You can go to defeatthedrama.com, click on the podcast tab and go to episode 233. I do need to throw out there also, since Michael talked briefly about delegation, that if you are having trouble with team follow through, I have the six simple steps of great delegation, super quick video, and then an ebook to go with it. So grab that by going to defeatthedrama.com forward slash delegation. So, and in the meantime, get out there, make your bigger, bolder impact. The world is waiting and make it a great day. Mm -hmm.